Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Hey, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. This is your host, Eric, but I'm going to do this as a little bit different episode. This week, I was a guest on the No Prescription Needed podcast by Dr. Maury Shaw, and it's also up on YouTube under his RX comedy videos that he does with a lot of his comedy skits with. You can find it there, but please share it because I think this is a great episode as we talk about provider status with pharmacy. He's fully in support of it, but he, I'm the guest, so it's a little bit different take from what you're used to hearing from me. So hopefully you enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of No Prescription Needed Podcast. I'm here with Eric Geyer, the political pharmacist. How are you? I'm doing great, uh, Dr. Shaw. How about you? Uh, I can't complain. Um, anytime I can sit down and talk pharmacy with somebody else who's trying to move the profession forward, it's uh, always a good time in my book. Yes, sir. Um, for people who follow my channel, I not only do comedy videos, but sometimes I'll post things um, just about the profession. And I actually get a lot of messages from people who tell me that uh, the profession of pharmacy is dead and I probably should just stick to comedy and not waste my time. <laughs> and, you know, I'm the type of person that I'd rather live my life let's say the profession of pharmacy is doomed and 20 years from now it's just terrible pharmacists are making like 30 dollars an hour and no one wants to be a pharmacist i'd rather live my life saying hey well i tried my best to save the profession versus sitting there like man i wonder if i did a little bit more with my platform could i have made a difference so and i take that with comedy too i never know if i'll be a big comedian but i'd rather you know, I, I'll be okay knowing that, hey, I tried my best and I just didn't make it versus, you know, I didn't go all out to try to do comedy. I wonder if I could have been a comedic star. So that's kind of why um, I wanted to have this where uh, I wanted to talk about the importance um, of supporting pharmacy organizations financially. Um, and we're going to break this up into three episodes. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk about um, supporting APHA and other organizations that support um, getting provider status. The next episode, why to support your uh, state um, pharmacy associations and PBM reforms. And we're going to also talk about a new pharmacy organization, RPHA. And then the third episode, we'll talk about unions and whether that's something that could be helpful now. And the biggest thing that is important to me or what I've noticed is that when you type in provider status on Google, you can go back to like 2014, 2015, where you see articles saying like, now is the time for provider status and then type in 2016 and it kind of like repeats <laughs> every year. But it seems like now with COVID, everybody kind of seeing the importance of pharmacists and our role, and especially when the vaccine is rolled out, it's like now or never, because I don't see any other, other time when we might be able to get that if it's not now. And I know APHA, I know there's other organizations, but I know APHA specifically has really been focusing on the provider status. And I think uh, a lot of pharmacists need to support them. A lot of people say that they don't support organizations because they don't see change. And I think as a profession, we need to switch the mindset just because something doesn't change doesn't mean somebody didn't try, you know? Yeah. I can't really fault an organization for if they can't get changed, but they tried to the best of their abilities. A lot of this is like, you know, the saying where it says 
to make money, you got to spend money. It's kind of the same thing. Like if you want change, you know, yeah. to get change, you're going to have to spend some money. And with people not supporting the organization, it gets harder and harder. I know we'll talk about it more next um, podcast, but like with PBM reform states, state pharmacy associates have a hard time. Cause you know how much, I mean, millions of dollars the PBM spend on lobbyists and donations and on lawyers. And it's, it's almost impossible to compete if we don't support. So that's why I think it's important that everybody, uh, especially right now, supports APHA um, initiative for the um, provider status. And I really wanted you to come on because I know you've had a lot of podcasts and I've actually been listening to them to kind of uh, increase my knowledge of this, of why provider status is so important and why now is like the perfect time. Yeah. So now is the perfect time, exactly like you said, because of COVID, you're seeing pharmacists being pulled to do everything, whether it be testing, um, the vaccine, they specifically called out chains and uh, some states called out the independence, but basically pharmacists are being utilized and they're looking at it because we have the knowledge and we have the skills. And that's one of those things that I think people are finally recognizing is, oh, look, you have all these people who are already doing stuff like this. We need to utilize them better. Like, cause there's, if you look at some of the issues with the vaccines, there's like, you know, obviously the Pfizer must be super cold. That's not going to be given at any retail pharmacy for the most part, but there's so many other factors in there that we need to do, we need to step up to so we can really make a difference and, and help people and help put an end to this pandemic because of the, how badly it's been mismanaged and how many people refuse to acknowledge it and things like that. Um, I think the other thing that why now is a big time, uh, APHA, like they said, they're really pushing hard. Scott Kenor is a change agent guy. He was at the Cleveland Clinic. He is at APHA. If you just look at his comments and, you know, things he said and statements APHA put out since he took over, like officially got the handoff from uh, Thomas Menahan previously, it's big. They've even expanded how many pharmacists, um, I think residencies or fellowships they have there. I think they, went, they increased it six times because they really want those boots on the ground. And they're really spending money because they know that the more people that they get right now pushing this in the next, we'll say year, but I think it'll be quicker than that. They need those people so that they can have all those points of contacts to reach out to people because they don't have the, they don't have necessarily all the manpower right now. And like you said, you got to spend money to make money. Scott Canover is doing that right now. He knows that, you know, he didn't mean to take over in the middle of COVID uh, when I knew he was taking over. It was kind of right before that, but he, uh, he's really going full force on this and, and with good reason, because, you know, we're being asked to do so much, right? How can you be able to order a lab test or, you know, a vaccine order if you're not a provider? Okay. Well now we need to put it under a doctor's name or a state or some other sort of standing order. And that just all costs more money. So why not just cut out the middlemen, make us the providers and, you know, save the healthcare system money, especially in a situation like this. The other reason is, and this is kind of a game changer. And I don't know if this is like, I think this is public knowledge, but if I remember correctly, a lot of the major other providers, uh, like the nurse practitioners, the medical doctors have all taken a step back and where they used to be anti-provider status for us, they've now just kind of went neutral on it. And I think when you see all those orgs kind of move that way, that's huge, right? Like that's like, Hey, look, they're recognizing it too. They might not be saying, let's do this, but they're saying, you know what? It makes sense, but we don't really have a dog in this fight. And I think that's huge. And that's one of those things. It's like now the gates are down, right? We're not fighting against each other. Now it's just us pushing. And I think that's, that's why it's so big. And we're seeing all these different congressmen, state legislatures, et cetera, really recognize that their pharmacies need to stay open. And there's a reason for that, right? Like you're seeing grocery stores, some other retail, pharmacies and hospitals are the, are the ones every single time that have to stay open. Like no matter, like unless you have an exposure or some major issue, right? 
And I think that underlines the importance of it because something like 92 to 95% of people live within five miles of a pharmacy, but not nearly that many people live within five miles of a hospital. I don't know the stats, but I know it's nowhere near that. Uh, when you, where you live in Chicago, me and Cleveland, a little different story, obviously, but you go down to rural Illinois or rural Ohio, nobody might live anywhere near a hospital, but there's usually a pharmacy somewhere nearby, which is just that point of care. And when you're talking about massive populations we need to take care of all 330 350 million americans yeah we need all hands on deck and there's only 320,000 pharmacists in the u.s but if you look at where they're placed it just happens to almost work perfectly for like a strategy of how do we expand care and i think that's what they're really recognizing and seeing and part of that could be messaging from people like scott michael hogue uh sandra leal but at the same time is you know when you're having the government look at these things they're going oh wow this just makes sense. And you're seeing that at, I know my state, Ohio, where we have provider status and we're seeing national articles written about what kind of good things it's doing. I think it was modern healthcare, which is, some people might not know it. It's, it's not exactly like uh, one of these little magazines. It's more on the level of JAMA than it is on Pharmacy Times, not to knock Pharmacy Times. But you know, it's, it's a pretty well-known and well-respected topic that people read even internationally. And I think that's why now is the time to push for it. Uh, the other reason is, is obviously we're seeing job loss, you know, as personally, right? Like, so, you know, maybe we're being a little selfish. We're seeing 3% job loss. And in my state, we've got seven colleges of pharmacy. That's a lot of people who are going to try and find jobs somewhere with six figures in debt. Why not utilize them, pay them for it, but utilize them in a way that can drive down healthcare costs. The stats somewhere along the way show that for every time you get a pharmacist to really step up in care, it saves anywhere from three to $22 for every dollar you spend. So like you said, you got to spend money to make money. Perfect example. If you pay someone six figures, you expect six figure results. And I think there's more and more studies coming out that just basically prove that. And that's really why we're seeing the major push. And that's why I've been so vigilant on my podcast to really make sure that this is something I'm like, Hey, you know, keep putting those reminders out there because, and this is no slight to you, but you know, I want people like you to kind of hear this and get engaged. I want other people to hear it. And I want people to really be able to talk about it at a very high level with their legislators and you know, people who have, who have contacts and power. It might be their mayor who has a good tie to you know, the state governor or something like that. All of a sudden he's dropping them hints of like, hey, I talked to this guy and made a good point. You know, that chain of connection is just so huge here and why everyone needs to be on board with it, in my opinion. Yeah, and to me, that's why provider status is so important because I talk to a lot of physicians and they tell me that, you know, if, if, if pharmacists had provider status, they wouldn't mind having a pharmacist to kind of manage their chronic disease state patients and kind of follow them. And that's, that's gotta be like almost every clinic, you know, probably one of their yeah. biggest things is just staying on top of their patients that have like diabetes, hypertension, uh, hyperlipidemia. And I don't think that people, I think people are so focused on, the terrible working conditions in retails that they don't even think about that. They put that as like a lower priority, but I think by addressing that first, because not only for doctor's office, but think about it. If we were able to bill for those services, you know, like the major chains are going to have pharmacists and <laughs> hire more pharmacists or at least, you know, give a big more tech hour so that the pharmacists can, can kind of utilize these services. I don't know if people actually think about that, like getting provider status could, in my eyes, I could be wrong, help with some of the terrible working conditions in retail. Yeah, for sure. And that's exactly, that's the exact same way I see it. And I've heard so many retail pharmacists. I hear a lot of people who 
come to me and say, yeah, we need provider status. I'm totally with you on this. But I have a lot of people who work, you know, like me and like you used to in retail. And they're like, I don't want this. It's going to be more stuff on our plate. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It, it might be more stuff, but I can guarantee you if there's money to be earned somewhere, they're going to spend money to make money, right? Like we see that every time, right? Like how many times did you have a freezer in a pharmacy before a vaccine was there? I know that's a very cheap example, but we didn't have them. And now that all of a sudden you have MMR, possibly COVID. Oh yeah. You know what? If there's a way that we can make money with this, we're going to spend that, you know, a couple thousand dollars because we can make more in the long end. And it's really a win-win for everybody because it helps their bottom line and it helps, you know, save public health money, which saves you tax money on Medicaid, Medicare, things like that. So I think so many people look at this from that microcosm lens of, oh God, I'm going to have more, you know, patient care calls to make and stuff like <laughs> that. And you're like, yeah, you might have a few more, but if that was your whole job, right. To like, you know, call those people and to check up with them and to, you know, go sit with them and talk about their diabetes or check their blood sugar. That's not a bad gig. Like let, let's not poo poo on some of these things. Like if we had more time to do this, you know, it would be in a lot better shape. Like you said, that fixes a lot of the stuff that we're having to do in triage. And I mean, I've had two phones in my head before while I'm answering patient questions before because the way it works sometimes in retail and, you know, that's not what we need for anything. So if we can remedy that, now you have extra pharmacists there. Now you might have time to go take a lunch for a few minutes here and they can cover you while, you know, then when you come back, they hop back in their roles. You know, that's, that's how doctors work in some hospitals. So why not, why can't we do that? You know, nurses do that all day, every day. So that's just why I think that, hey, we should be included with some of this stuff too. And people shouldn't be afraid of it, man. Like when people sit here and say, well, now I got to do this. And I got to change this. Yeah, we're going to expect that. But it's not like they're just going to say, you know, do it on the fly. Like you legally have to have those conversations with people. You leave, there's checks and balances you got to do here. That's just medicine. And like you said, with the chronic disease states, especially diabetes and hypertension, those little push conversations are huge. I don't know how many times I've had conversations with people uh, where I worked previously at Walmart has a mandatory council, basically every time there's a new prescription. So many times I talked to an old guy and I'm like, yeah, you know, you know, try to make sure you're working out a little bit and you're doing something. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to try and bench 300 pounds again. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're 63 years old. Don't try and bench 300 pounds, man. Like let's go get some miles on a treadmill and I steady pace, you know, get your heart rate up a little bit, drink plenty of water. And it was crazy because he came back next time. He's like, you know what? you like, that does make sense. I get that. He's like, I started losing weight now. And, you know, and he started sharing all these positive things with me and all from just one conversation. Now imagine if I got paid for that and was able to follow up with them more, you know, like that's where the impact is here. And I think so many people because of the stress of retail are so scared of it, but look at what these independents are doing. They're able to use provider status, man. They're killing it out there and they're getting recognized by their governors and by national magazines. So why not? I think I don't I was wanting to know what your opinion is, but since my platform's kind of kind of grown, especially like on LinkedIn, a lot of pharmacist entrepreneurs have reached out to me. And I didn't realize how many pharmacist entrepreneurs there are. And I always thought like, man, if we could get provider status, there could be a lot of yep. pharmacists who could develop other companies where they offer pharmacist services um to get paid for. And that would just also even expand just the amount of job opportunities there because there's people who are trying to actually have pharmacists run companies that, you know, utilize our clinical knowledge and skill set to um, improve the outcomes for the doctors, especially what, like, you know, hospitals, you know, they don't want their patients to being readmitted and, you know, we can monitor them and do MTM and bill for all that stuff. I think that would open up even another avenue for more, uh, job opportunities for pharmacists. Oh, immensely. And I mean, let's, you know, as we kind of talk more about PBM reform in the future and stuff, 
look at what's one of the major issues doctors are pushing against PBMs and against healthcare with right now, prior authorizations. We don't want prior authorizations. It hurts care, delays care, delays therapy. Well, if we get provider status and all of a sudden someone comes in and they're on Lantus, or that's what the prescription's for, but the insurance switches at the Bastic bar. That's all they cover. They won't cover Lantus no matter what. I can look at it, assess the patient, talk with them, make sure it's right for them, make sure the dose is right. Boom, switch it. Here we go. You got everything the same day. We're out the door. You're taken care of. And there's no more delays. And it would drive the cost down because, you know, now they don't have to go back to the ER to get a new prescription in case the doctor's office is closed and they need it. Things like that. Talking about medication switches, right? So say someone's on, I don't know, like, you know, Diltiazem 360, but they're allergic to a dye. This is actually an issue I had before um, with a the medication. There's a, they're allergic to a dye that's in the one for 360, but they could take the 180s because there's, I think it was a red dye that was, didn't have in it or something like that, which is actually a fairly common allergy. Well, you know, I had that one in stock. The CVS down the road didn't. They only carried the one that like, you know, had the red dye and things like that. Well, you know, I sat there and I was like looking at the prescription going, I can switch this you know, in my head. Like I would just call the doctor, switch this, boom, we're taken care of. No big deal. There we go. Well, you know, that was something that couldn't happen at that time. That person also had a problem with the insurance made them go to CVS, which is a whole different story here. But, you know, that's one of those things of like, like provider status would dovetail with PBM reform. We could take care of that person right there. But because we couldn't take care of them right there at my store and the only other CVS had the one they were allergic to, you know, that was in a different strength, they had to go back to the ER. And, you know, I actually just, you know, been very open about this. Once the ER recently for Bell's palsy episode, $7,000 later, <laughs> I'm back there with a prescription for prednisone and told to wait it out. You know, I was just going to make sure I didn't have a stroke or anything. Uh, but, you know, that's the same thing. Like, people are going to face those huge bills when they start going to ER urgent care, more or less ER, that we could really take care of right there and maybe bill for a small service with it. So I, I see where there's a perfect business model for being an entrepreneur, like you said, and you know, also being able to help lower healthcare costs. The way I really look at things is we can kind of see the writing on the wall if if we do absolutely nothing we know that pharmacist salaries are going to go down um we've already seen that i've already posted that where people were making 42 15 hour laid everybody else laid the current pharmacists off and hired new um pharmacists at that rate i can imagine that in several years could go down to 35 dollars an hour i don't think that it'd be kind of unreasonable after what we've been seeing we've been seeing that um you know, that terrible working conditions are just getting worse and worse because you can even Google it. Like I've seen articles <laughs> since 2014 talking about, you know, the terrible working conditions, pharmacists are under stress, no help, huge news articles year after year after year, but nothing has changed. So that's just going to get worse. So it, to me, it seems like what do you have to lose by at least for the next two, three years of financially helping these um, organizations because you know what's going to happen if you don't but at least if you you support them and help them there could be change I mean like I don't know about you but like if pharmacist salaries actually got down to like let's say $35 an hour and conditions get worse I don't think it's really necessarily worth the stress the the liability of <laughs> you possibly killing somebody so you won't even be you know for me personally I wouldn't be practicing as a pharmacist anyway I would probably try to find something else so to me it's like so important especially for the next two to four years to really try to help these organizations and I get it some people is like well I don't want to pay the association fee but I mean that's what they use that money to help get these changes. and even besides that without people 
I could tell people don't even go to the website because you can go to APHA's website right now and you could type in your address and it'll give you a list of, of your legislators and it pretty much populates a form about provider status just to let them know like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in your area. I, I really think provider status is important. And this is why. And that's something that people can do without even having to give money. You yeah. know, and I really want people to know that because that helps the profession. It's not like you have to give money to the organization if you're opposed to that. And I think we just, you know, as pharmacists just need to get more involved and stop, you know, making so many excuses about trying to help the profession. Cause a lot of people just kind of like, they don't want to, I know a lot of people are scared to lose their job and they feel if they speak out, you know, there may be some retaliation, but I mean, there just comes a point where everybody needs to really be doing as much as possible. And, you know, for me, like on, YouTube, I have like 15,000 followers and on Facebook, I probably have 10. And I was like, if I could just get like a thousand people, you know, yeah. just to support and help financially, that's all, you know, that, I, you know, I would be more than happy, you know, just to kind of help the organizations. And I, and I know we've been talking about APHA, but what other organizations are really working to get provider status besides APHA? Man, every single one of them is for pharmacy, whether it's ASHP, NCPA, um, I think SNAFA, like every one I can think of. I, there's so many, it's hard to list them all off, but they're all pushing for it, especially some of the health, um, health system ones, because they know that that pharmacist could help do something in a point in time or make a change in a hospital or in a more setting like that, that we don't have to tie up the physician for, because we all know they're overworked, right? There, that's just a huge thing. There's supposed to be a bigger shortage now of physicians in the next 10 years and there even is now and there's 3 million physicians in the u.s so we're going to be pushed to really push out a lot more physicians there's only like i said 320,000 pharmacists which is why we need to speak up there's not as many of us right we're fighting this uphill battle of just pure math right that we just need more people to be engaged or else stuff won't happen we don't we don't get paid as much as physicians but if you want to join a group like apha it's i think maybe roughly if you average the price out over a whole year 30 bucks a 30 bucks a month maybe 35. I forget the exact math. So if you look at that, man, that's like one good dinner a night. So with COVID, you're not going out, just save a little bit of money, put it towards something like that. And you know, you can have, make an impact, you know, maybe you, maybe you eat a lower cut of steak that night or something, you know, just whatever you're eating, it just, you know, downgrade or not, you know, be a little frugal, go back to college days for a night or two. And you know, you can make a huge difference with this because like you said, that money goes right to it. And you know, if pharmacists are getting paid less, then that's a huge deal because the average pharmacist is coming out of school with $170,000 of student loan debt. No one's going to take on that burden if they're not going to get paid anywhere near where they can, they can pay that off. Like that's just, again, simple math. We're all seeing lower GPAs in pharmacy schools because of that, right? So if we don't have the jobs there, most people fighting to get in because they don't want the debt risk ratio, we're going to get less or worse pharmacists in, in theory. I, I don't want to say about the ones I know graduate. They all seem pretty good, but in theory, that could happen too. And then, like you said, you know, with some of these jobs being pushed away, you know, we really got to make sure that we're doing what we can to increase our field and use, use our knowledge because no one's trained like us, right? How many times do, you know, we talk to a physician and they're like, I don't know, what do you think? You know, or yeah, that's a good suggestion. Just go with that, you know, or whatever, whatever you have on your shelf, that's okay. Just switch it all the time. And kind of going back to the politics side a little bit, even Andrew Yang called pharmacists out on the, you know, Democratic debate stage that, we need to do something for jobs like ours because they're going to be automated away in the future. And, you know, when we see giants like Amazon come in who are just known for automation, you know, some people, I'm not as scared about that as other people, but that's something that, you know, we should really be looking at. What can we, you know, we don't, you know, being paid for a product is kind of key to what we do. And I still think there's a role for that. 
but really we should be being paid for use our knowledge, right? Not just to double check things all the time, but we should be getting paid to, hey, let's sit down and have a conversation about this, right? If I can have a five or 10 minute conversation with somebody over a new script, that's kind of in depth, a little more detail, and I'm compensated for that. I get paid, we have more roles, that person benefits, and then the government wins and saves tax money. I mean, it's a triple win all around. Who doesn't want that, in my opinion? So like you said, all those are great points, and that's why we need to support these organizations. Roughly 30 bucks a month is what it costs, if I remember correctly, to join APHA. And I think it's a little cheaper if you join for two years. I know I did that when I signed up because I was like, ah, screw it, two years, here you go. And I, I just knew Scott Kenora was such a change agent guy that – you know, he's going to work his butt off like you wouldn't believe for the next couple of years. And, and he's doing it, man. Look at his, uh, the people he's meeting with and stuff like that. I actually, it's kind of weird because I have him on my podcast. I have a cell phone number. He texts me all the time stuff about retail because he knows that I'll give an honest opinion about it. And, you know, that's the type of guy he is. And I don't think we've seen that in a pharmacy organization in a long time. And that's why, you know, APHA is the one I support. It's the one I think affects retail pharmacy the most at this current point in time and is really pushing on things that I agree with to help kind of make change not just for pharmacy, but for society better in a whole, as a whole. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I want to make a, a, a note that, you know, I know we've been talking about APHA and, you know, we're not receiving any financial contributions at all. No. From that. We're just, this is just our true, honest opinion. And I, I, I'm passionate about it. I, I've joined APHA. I've joined my state pharmacist association and I haven't done that in, in years, but like, I really feel like these next two to three years are important. And I also um, contributed to your GoFundMe. Can you tell people more about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, by the way, speaking of people who joined APJ, I know if you go on Twitter, there's a pretty famous pharmacist down there, but the Angry Pharmacist and Drug Monkey, they've seen so much change since Scott took over. They both joined, if I remember correctly. And they said it on Twitter, which was kind of one of those things that they were always rallying against it. So when you see them switch, you're going, wait a minute, something's, something's happening here. Um, but yeah, so thanks for bringing up my GoFundMe again. Um, I started GoFundMe for provider status. All the money goes directly to advertise for, it's kind of like direct to, to marketing advertising to really kind of push for uh, the provider status campaign, if you will. And that's been huge. I think we got $4,800 in change right now, plus whatever you just, you know, you just donated. Um, I already cut the, you know, the check, but this is kind of, you know, falling up with some money to help kind of push a little further, if you will. So that's a huge thing that you know we've really seen some progress with. And five thousand bucks, just so people get an idea, that's like big time advertisement. Like if you do targeted marketing online, that's huge. And I'm not talking like just Facebook, right, or like Twitter or something like that. I'm talking like the Hill Magazine that all the people in D.C. read and go to for generally unbiased news sources and stuff like that. You're talking major, major media that you will look up with your phone. And if you go to thehill.com, look up what their ads are. All almost all their ads are some sort of targeted political ad, right? And so you're talking about becoming a major player when you're getting that much money for stuff. So thanks for contributing to it. It's huge. We've had a lot of people do it. And I also make sure personally that anytime that any fees get taken out, I always match that back up. So if you donate 50 bucks and they take off like, you know, $2 for fee, I throw that back in. So this isn't just me promoting something. This is actually me also putting my money. So every donation goes in, and maybe, you know, if we hit 30,000, it might be a little different story or something, but every donation that keeps going in right now, I make sure I make all those even so that everything you're donating is going straight to the cause. So I think that if people can find it, you know, go on GoFundMe, look for pharmacist provider status and it should pop right up or message me or, uh, you know, Dr. Shaw here. We'll, we can connect you with the link. It's, it's pretty obvious, but GoFundMe is a pretty easy site to navigate too. So thanks for donating. I hope some more people find that and send some of those letters in with APHA. 
So just to recap ways they can um, support the effort to um, get provider status for pharmacists. Uh, one, support your pharmacy organizations, APHA, ASHP. I'm sure there's more than that. Um, and if you don't want to do that, what you can do is also you can go to APHA's website. They have a link where you can just type in your address. It'll give you a list. They gave me a list of three different legislators. Um, how to contact them um, by email. Um, if you want to call them, everything's laid out. You really just have to read it. And that's to, you know, to get your um, local politicians aware that, you know, uh, you know, we're pretty passionate about this. And if they want to stay in office, this is something that they should uh, kind of focus on. And also, you know, um, like we just talked about, um, supporting the GoFundMe. I'll have the link in the comment section in the in the video so people can just click it for easy access. Um, do you have any other ways that people may be able to support the um, push for provider status? You know, one thing I did, um, so I'm in Ohio. Uh, I reached out to both my senators, right? Um, one's a Republican, one's a Democrat. This is really a bipartisan issue. I want to make sure that's very clear because, you know, no matter what, you got to make sure you play to your audience a little bit, like what they want. But I actually requested a meeting with both of them. And Senator Sherrod Brown's office called me back. We had a meeting. I talked with his office for about 30, 45 minutes, something like that. Laid all the points and then sent him a very, I don't want to say formulaic, but a very, very in-depth email about everything. And, you know, they got back to me. They said, you know what? Hey, Senator Brown supports this. He likes everything. Thank you for sharing this information. We will make sure to distribute this. That's huge. And all of that came from just going to his website and then requesting a meeting, which I thought no way in hell I'm going to get this meeting, but you know, it ended up happening. And I went to some of his, uh, basically his person who helps write policy for healthcare is kind of who I ended up fielding the call for me. So pretty high up there. It goes right, reports right to him basically. And you know, that's another way you guys can do it too. The APHA thing is huge. It gives you names, but you know, Hey, do some more stuff on your own because sometimes those, those formula like emails are good because they can at least keep a tally going. But when they know that someone cares and someone's going to be fighting for something, then it brings their ears up a lot more because they can tell a formula email from one you write by yourself. Okay. Well, everybody, um, that's our time for now. Um, on our next podcast, like I said, we're going to talk about um, why to support your state pharmacy associations and talk a little bit more about a new pharmacy association. Um, I really want to say thank you to Eric for coming on. Um, I love listening to his podcast because, you know, it's so much w going on in pharmacy where it's like PBM reform, where it's, you know, <laughs> staying up to date on the changes of what's going on in COVID, you know, what's going on with trying to get um, provider status and things like that. And like listening to your podcast while I'm, you know, changing my son's diaper or just working out just really helps me stay on top of what's going on in the profession of pharmacy. So I truly uh, appreciate your uh, podcast. And I also want people to comment. I want this to be a discussion. So whether you think, you know, getting a provider, getting provider status is important. That's something that we should be doing. If you're for it or against it, just, you know, comment and give your opinions in the comment section below. Cause that's what I like the open dialogue. I'll, I'll see people go back and forth as to why they believe we should support or not support. And that's what it's really all about. The more dialogue we get and the more people talking about, it, I think also helps it as well. So, yeah, I always like to say, you know, you can listen to my podcast, get some more some more details on stuff, get some stuff that's kind of more cut and dry or, you know, into the weeds on some of these neat nerdy pharmacy things, but mix that up with what you're doing too with comedy, because so, you don't want to get too burnt out in politics. I listen to your stuff and it kind of helps levy it out and sometimes pokes funds and stuff I'm doing, but hey, you know what, either way, it's, you gotta have a balancing act these days, especially with the stress of COVID. So. 
All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, Everybody, thanks for listening. And uh, be sure to check out when we have the next episode on this. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dr. Dr.